Welcome back to the Pregnantish Podcast, where we have real talk about fertility and share the incredible lengths people go to to create their families. This episode is part of our Reality of Infertility series, in which we highlight public people and reality stars who are elevating this conversation about infertility and about modern family building. Today's episode is presented by Donor Concierge, a leading fertility service helping intended parents navigate the challenging process of finding an egg donor, sperm donor, or surrogate. For more or for a free consultation, visit donorconcierge.com slash contact. Those who watch reality TV and Bravo in particular know my next guest, Golnessa, known to her millions of fans as Gigi, one of the stars of the popular reality TV show, Shaws of Sunset. Golnessa has never been shy to use her voice to challenge and support people she loves. Her reality show audience knows that she's not scared to go after what she wants, and this has extended to the way Golnessa has started her family. I felt like I was whole enough or on my way to be whole enough to offer that to a child man uh, in my picture or another partner in the picture. It didn't matter to me. I, I felt so complete in so many ways. It was okay for me. And I knew, you know what? I don't, I don't need to keep finding these relationships and lying to myself and pretending I want to fall in love. So we get married and then we have a baby. So that society won't judge me. Fuck society. When have I ever cared about society? Let me go call the nearest sperm bank. Okay. I just need the guy's swimmers. She's been vocal about her path to parenthood, which includes a devastating miscarriage that could have literally killed her. This experience led to the removal of both of her fallopian tubes, making IVF her only option if she wanted to carry her baby. Golnessa has said in a number of interviews that being a mom has always been in her heart, her most important goal. She gave birth during the pandemic and is now the mother to a beautiful boy named Elijah, who is clearly a great love of her life. Golnessa, thank you so much for being on the Pregnancy Podcast to share your amazing story. Thank you so much for having me here. But I do want to say something. Your intro was amazing, except one part of it, which is pretty much what we're here talking about. I began the IVF process and the first pregnancy that I got through IVF, it turned into an ectopic pregnancy. It was a fluke situation. Apparently there's a less than 1% chance to get an ectopic through IVF because they bypass the fallopian tubes. So of course, at this time I had a high risk doctor because I'm over 35. Naturally you have to have a high risk doctor and I have an autoimmune disease. So I definitely needed one. I had my gynecologist and my rheumatologist and my fertility specialist all working together to understand how this could have possibly happened. And the only thing they came up with was possibly because I have an inflammatory disease, which is rheumatoid arthritis, my fallopian tubes might have been sort of having contractions from the inflammation and worked as a suction and just sucked the embryo in. I was actually filming uh, Shaw's. We were, I had cameras up and I just remember feeling this pain this weird, sharp pain. And I remember being a little nervous already because, you know, they say you might have spotting, you might have some cramps. It's normal. I have such a high threshold to pain. So I was like, 
oh, this is nothing. Okay, I'm going to keep, keep, you know, filming through the process because I was seeing a shaman and he was doing like a healing process. And then I got a sharp pain. I couldn't, I couldn't really straighten my back. I called my doctor and I said, I'm having this pain and I'm in fetal position right now driving on the freeway. And he says, pull over, get to the ER right now. We can send an ambulance. What do you need? And I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I drive home. I'm like, I'm going to eat something because I haven't eaten all day. And I'm like, it's okay. And then my doctor calls. He goes, are you at Cedar sinai which is our hospital? And I said, no, 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 I'm about to eat. He goes, no, do not eat anything. Go right now. I, I rushed to the ER and within five minutes of walking through the door, I'm being prepped for the OR because they saw that not only did the uh, embryo go into my fallopian tubes and cause an ectopic, it had ruptured. So there they are. They're like, you know, taking me in. I have the people from the state coming in with papers and I'm already moderately sedated to go into the surgery and they're making me sign papers that I'm aware I'm sterilizing myself because they have to remove both. Because if I wanted to do this again, IVF again, the other fallopian tube might suction the other embryo out again. I was, and so my, both my, you know, fallopian tubes look damaged. They removed both. Three months later, I was healed and I called my fertility doctor, Dr. Wong. I said, hey, let's do it again. Well, okay. I mean, I don't even know how, how did you even process that, that you're in the OR, <laughs> you're like wheeled in, you thought, okay, let me just pull over. Or I'll just get something to eat for lunch. And then yeah. you go, hey, we have to remove your tubes and this is highly dangerous. I mean, what was going through your head during that? I, the first question I asked before I signed that paper, because I, I remember asking it a hundred times before I signed the paper, but I just remember the last thing before I sort of passed out for the surgery was, are you sure I can still get pregnant using IVF though? And they said, we don't need your fallopian tubes. You're fine. You just, you know, can't get pregnant naturally ever again. But you know what? I tried to, I have been through a lot of stuff in my life. I, this was not my first or second or third pregnancy. I, this was my seventh that I've had. I didn't know that. Okay. So let's like backtrack. When was your first pregnancy? And let's even go before that. When did you know you wanted to become a mom? Because I've read interviews where you said like, that was always your most important thing in your heart. But tell us both when you decided you were going to go for this and what happened. Well, the total pregnancies, unfortunately, were not when I was actively trying. Five of them were being very irresponsible. I have a history of heavy drug use, uh, a lot of issues, you know, psychological pain that I went through, I think, as a young child, finding my place to fit in in the world. Throughout that process, I did go through five situations where I ended up pregnant. So what's interesting is when I did want to get pregnant and the first IVF round turned into that ectopic fluke, I almost punished myself. I said, this is, this is what the karma, this is the definition of karma. This is what it looks like. This is what it feels like. And I don't know if I made it similar to that of a religious faith that I almost said, it's, it's okay. It's, it's okay. Okay. This is what I have to go through. I did this to myself earlier. I I damaged myself earlier. And this is my body coming back to say, hey. (laughs) So I looked at it like that because I had no other way of looking at it. 
it, it, there, for me, I'm a logical person. So I tried to find logic and everything. My doctors couldn't find the logic in what had happened. So that made it very difficult that there's no logic to what had happened because there's a less than 1% chance of this ever happening through IVF. So it was a tough pill to swallow. It still is. I'm not sure if I processed it fully. I do look down every now and then and I see three incisions, you know, on my stomach from the removal. I recently got a little B tattoo above one of the incisions because as I entered that shaman's house, a bee had fallen dead right in front of me. And two years before I had seen an animal shaman that told me I was a bee in my past life. Oh, wow. So when I saw that bee drop, I'm like, oh my God, I was with one of my girlfriends. I said, this is so weird because, you know, this shaman told me that I was a bee in my past life. And sure enough, you know, so I got a little bee tattoo. It's so, for me, I tried to find the light in it because I look at my son right now and I think everything was supposed to happen for a reason. We hear that a lot because, you know, at Pregnantish, we cover these extraordinary paths to parenthood that none of us expected. I mean, I don't know if you know, uh, Golnessa, my, my story is it took me almost a decade to have my now three-year-old. Wow. I went through 18 fertility treatments and my first cousin delivered her in the end because my uterus couldn't carry a pregnancy wow. to treatment. But I say it now like, oh, in passing, like I did this, this, <laughs> like I, yeah. I download it, but I know the tears and the pain that accompanies that challenging path when it's like in your heart to be a mom. When did you know you wanted to be a mom? Well, if you ask my mother, my mother will tell you from the day I could like start really fully putting sentences together. I kept saying I wanted to have a hundred kids. You know, when girls were talking about like, oh, I'm going to wear this type of dress and this, I was like, oh my God, I think three boys first. And then a girl and then another boy, or maybe I should do a boy girl and then twins. And then, I mean, that was my whole goal was I had to have kids and I wanted to have so many of them. And I'm grateful for a lot of things that I didn't choose to go through with those pregnancies because I was so not ready. I would not have understood how to raise a human being because I was going through my own hell. I didn't even know how to wake up, you know, in the morning and be normal, you know, and functional. So. I see this, I'm 40 years old and my son's going to be two in a couple months and I'm so appreciative of him. I'm so appreciative of my process. It had to be this way. I mean, you know, because there isn't a choice for it to be any other way. So you just accept it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think some of us uh, in this community in particular, there's a reason it's called like IVF warrior or, you know, warrior because you're you are battling something that people who haven't been through this challenge may not really understand the depth of pain, not just physical pain, the pain of knowing this is your greatest goal and not reaching it is a pain that's unimaginable when you miscarry, when you lose, when you lose that ability to bring the child health, a healthy in a healthy way into the world. It's devastating. So you had to, I know you've also been public about this, You had to also go through a process as a single mother by choice or a solo parent, whatever you'd call it. What prompted that decision? Do you remember clearly when you made the decision, like, I don't need a partner for this? Because even as a a child, you were picking out your, you know, what your kids would be more than the the partner. But do you remember when you, you actually made that decision to like look for a sperm donor and make this it was always when you're younger, you're like, oh, if I don't have a kid by this age, I'm going to make it happen on my own, right? And you, 
you, it's yeah. easy to say that. It's really easy to say that. But I, maybe about, I would say seven years ago, I transitioned my life in a very significant way to where I came out of an emotional state of being in a, I became a logical state of being a, a person with uh, intention in everything uh, that's happening. So for me, it was, I now understand I'm not good in intimate relationships. There's something that's just not working for me inside of these intimate relationships. My sister was married, uh, two amazing kids, but she also went through a very unfortunate situation. When her second one was about three months old, her husband said, you know, I'm in love with someone else. And that was that. And she went through, God, three, four year divorce because there was emotion attached to the custody battle. Now it's, it's, I hate you, but he was a great father, amazing father, just maybe a shitty husband. Right. Mm -hmm. But when I saw that and I saw the effect on my niece, who was now five, six, seven years old, understanding what's happening, you know, it's, it became difficult for me. And I became a little bit more aware of what the intention was for me to have a child. And the intention was I needed to do something right and serve a better purpose through my life and through my experiences. And I felt like I was whole enough or on my way to be whole enough to offer that to a child, man, uh, in my picture or another partner in the picture. It didn't matter to me. I, I felt so complete in so many ways. It was okay for me. And I knew, you know what? I don't, I don't need to keep finding these relationships and lying to myself and pretending I want to fall in love. So we get married and then we have a baby. So this society won't judge me. Fuck society. When have I ever cared about society? Let me go call the nearest sperm bank. Okay. I just need the guy's swimmers. That's what we love about you. I mean, I think, and this is part of our real talk mission, actually, that is a growing trend. You are not alone and you know that, but single men call us Golnessa at Pregnantish wanting to start families. And they say, if love comes, it comes. But this is my greatest goal. And there is no higher stakes goal for so many people than a family, than having a baby, than, than being a parent. Like it's not, we're not talking about a little tiny goal. So no. I, I mean, <laughs> I think I totally get it. Did you find your community and people, did people challenge you? Were you supported? Like what did you face when you made that bold decision? Yeah, it was a little tricky. With my parents, it was easy. With my family, it was very easy. I think that I put my family through such a uh, roller coaster ride for the last, you know, forty years that they've seen it all. And I think, I think they already understood. When you know your child, it, it you understand. It was almost like your child coming out of the closet at the age of forty to say I'm gay. If for them, it was that like we know you're not good in relationships. We know that. We know you love children. We know you've got your life together. We support it. So I got that very strongly from my parents. I had a discussion with them. I said, listen, I have a physically debilitating autoimmune disease. I am going through infusions and chemotherapy on a regular basis. So there's going to be times that I can't hold my child and I need that help. I said, can you guys do that for me? Because they're, of course, my parents are getting older as well, right? So it's harder for them naturally, but they gave me their full support. That's all I really needed. I would say I definitely lost a couple of friends along the way, mostly men. Interestingly, I lost men, male friends because they challenged me to, why would you do that to your child? 
I said, excuse me, what do you mean? Why? I said, aren't your parents divorced? And, and he's like, yeah. And I said, what? So you just would jump from house to house holiday. So you'd have to choose mom hates dad. Dad hates mom. You remember going through that? It's like, yeah. And I'm like, and you're a miserable person in your life right now. And because all you talk about is what you went through as a child. I said, I don't want to give that possibility. That's one less fraction. Could it have been an amazing father, an amazing situation? Yes. But that wasn't the goal. The goal was to create life and to give love to it. We all know that. We don't even need to think too deeply about that. What do kids need? Love. Love. Present. Do you know? You need a role model. I, I'm a relationships author, and I, I once interviewed an 85-year-old woman who had been married for a long time and had kids, and I said, what's your biggest relationship tip? Because I'm always giving relationship advice. You know, I'm a self-help author. That's what I do. And she said, the most important thing you could give in a relationship is your presence. Absolutely. That extends to your kids. And if there's love, that... You, Yes. So do you, you know, I know you also host a, a podcast, Genuinely Gigi. Yes. Do you talk about these themes? Like how public are you about your bold decisions? I'm sure very public, but like what, what do you discuss on that show? It's, it's, it's an interesting question because you're like, okay, I've been on a reality show for, you know, 10 years and how much can you talk about? Oh my God, there's so much. Like I, I, if I had a reality show just about me, it would be called genuinely Gigi because that's pretty much what it is. I decided I don't want to do the celebrity gossip tab. We have enough of those, you know, out there in the world. I wanted to talk about all those weird things about myself, all those taboos, all those controversies that I actually lived through or the ones that I admire. I want to talk about those and I want to shake the table really fucking hard and maybe wake a few people up in the process. And mm. The, the, the response has been amazing. I've had so many phone calls from my um, donor concierge where I got my sperm donor. I talked about, you know, donors. I had Andy Cohen on. Uh, we talked about his process because he's also a single parent and comparing our stories. A man going through the process is so different than a woman going through the process. And it's so unique. So it's just, I, I talk about everything on Genuinely Gigi, but I definitely gravitate a lot towards talking about my, you know, my mission with fertility, pregnancy, you know, having a donor daddy, what I'm going to tell my child. <laughs> Let's talk about the donor daddy. How did you, <laughs> I love this question. So pregnant is kind of like, think of us as sci-fi network meets the Hallmark channel. <laughs> We're like modern family 3.0. Um, and, and I love this question with everyone who pursues egg donation, sperm donation, embryo donation. How the heck do you pick? What do you look at? Oh my God. It's so hard. It's so hard. It's like, it's, it sounds so easy until the files actually come in front of you. And then you're like, wait, this can actually be half of my child. Then it's a whole different ballgame. You're not in the Build-A-Bear workshop anymore that you could just put this <laughs> nose and this shirt on and take it off later. This is it. This is it, you know? So I hired an amazing company I'd heard about called Donor Concierge. And they are basically that. They are a concierge company to whatever you're looking for. Egg, surrogacy, uh, sperm. 
And what they do is they pretty much after interviewing you for hours and talking to you specifically about your wants, needs, psychologically, emotionally, genetically, they scan the nation. They scan the nation. Only 1% of donors make it through to their door and then over to me. Golnessa was so happy working with Donor Concierge. We wanted to share more about them and are thankful they supported this episode. Donor Concierge is a leading fertility service helping intended parents navigate the challenging process of finding an egg donor, sperm donor, or a surrogate through their extensive network of the best fertility industry connections. Since 2006, Donor Concierge has helped countless people like Golnessa find the right sperm donors to work with. Their expert team works with intended parents to understand their specific sperm donor criteria and within just three weeks curates a list of sperm donor candidates. Their goal is to find the best sperm donor options for people's family building journeys. They also provide guidance on legal aspects of sperm donation, introduction to attorneys and fertility clinics, and any other resources their clients may need. Donor Concierge understands unique challenges and considerations of the donor search, and their team of caring experts is dedicated to helping clients find the absolute best candidates so they can build their families as seamlessly as possible. For a free consultation, contact them at donorconcierge.com slash contact. And now back to Golnessa and how she picked her sperm donor. And I receive a file for each one. They're about 40 to 50 pages, very detailed. I mean, I know if like the donor's grandparents' earlobes are fully attached or a little hanging off, you know, it's just, it's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic, but you don't really realize how important health is until it's that crunch time. And and we never know when we're dating. It's always fascinating to me. When we're dating, we don't know health history. We don't know these things that you're actually handed in a folder Mm -hmm. when you're pursuing donor conception. Mm -hmm. So that, that is awesome. So what, how did you narrow down? By the way, on the podcast, uh, Gigi, we've had sperm donors, we've had egg donors, we've had used it. And I love hearing all these perspectives. The stories. The stories (laughs) are just like incredible of how, how people get to this. But, but what was your criteria? Like uh, beyond good health, of course, you look at that. What kinds of things, qualities were you looking for? And how did you know you hit the, the match? Uh, it was so hard. Andrea, it was so hard. It was um, obviously put genetics to the side because the first thing we all ask for is the healthiest, please, the healthiest. And the first, I don't know, 10, 15 pages, I think, of the file are about health, the donor's health, the parent's health, aunts and uncles, siblings. So it's so detailed about health. But once I moved past that aspect, it went into okay, what can I do to possibly make this process a little bit more easier for my future child? Maybe make my child look a little bit like me, you know, just a little bit like me, maybe. So I was hoping for darker features, darker hair, you know, just something to make it, make it make sense a little bit more. I don't have like a blue eyed blonde hair baby. (laughs) It's going to be like, oh, well, you know, it's going to be a little bit different. You know, it's interesting. Um, I lobbied with Andy Cohen two years ago 
uh, in Albany for surrogacy to become legal in New York. So yes. I have, uh, you know, he's been a great voice in this community. Just definitely this. But what did you ever imagine you'd be somewhat of a like fertility advocate? Did did that even enter your brain? And what it has it what has it been like? I wish more people would ask me more questions. I wish that more men and women would be less scared to do this process alone. And I understand it is an expensive process. My goal would be to be an advocate for more programs that offer aid to people because there's only one program that I know of that is offering aid for people who need help with this. And it's just, it's so necessary. Even if you don't go through the process alone or any of that, when we can test our embryos or at day uh, 10 or whatever it is in your time span of pregnancy, when we have these extensive tests to understand where we can help, I don't want to say never bring up, uh, up these diseases again, but help delete some options of children being born with these diseases. We can do that so easily with fertility programs and it's just it's better for the children. I just wish more people would ask more questions and be less scared and stop following this society, this box, because that's what it is. It's a box. And Christopher Columbus thought it was all a box until he fell off and saw it was round. So I just wish as a, if I am an advocate of any form, I just wish I can advocate for people educating themselves more about this and having more faith in themselves that they can do it just have love in your heart. And that's, that's what it takes. Yeah. I mean, I think so often in school, we're told not how to not get, you know, pregnant. We're not taught how to get pregnant and we're not taught about alternative ways. First comes love, then marriage, then baby carriage is a totally outdated. It's hard. We're in 2022. Like why do we think that? And by the way, I kind of think it's really, I mean, Power to the people who have sex and have babies. That's great. But like when, when sex does not make baby, these stories are so inspiring to me. Absolutely. So we show, you showed your baby Elijah before he was ever here, the length you would go to, to be a mom. That just shows you're the right mom in the world. Like as far as I'm concerned, what, what is something people don't know about you? You, you have this great podcast, you're on the shots, they say, you know, you're bold. That's what they know about you. But like, is there anything people wouldn't know about you who, who see and listen to you? Oh man. I mean, I think on my podcast, genuinely GG, I really try to tell people as much about me that maybe they don't get a chance to see on Shaza Sunset. But, you know, I'm, I'm on a new journey right now. I've been talking a lot about polyamory and how I resonate a lot with that. Mm-hmm. It, it seems to make sense for me. So I'm on a new journey right now of seeing if this is going to work for me and how I want to work it. So, you know, I, that's another thing. I would just love for people to be open to these things instead of being like called a cheater. It's okay to be open because you never know your significant other might also want an option as well. You know, so it's just, we live in a beautiful world when it comes to love, fertility, pregnancy, you name it. There are so many colors in the rainbow. We got to stop just saying black or white, you know, and and, and we got to explore all of our options and make things happen for yourself. 100%. Tell me when Elijah came into the world. Can you bring me back to that moment, that day? What was that like? 
Well, I definitely induced so because I was high risk and in the middle of my pregnancy, I went into an extreme attack of my autoimmune and I had to begin sitting back in the infusion chair from, I think, five months pregnant till I gave birth and they had to bring the baby out early because they needed to get me back on chemo immediately. Mm. So I chose the date. Uh, I was born on the 27th and the time frame was close to the 27th. So I picked the 27th and I'm like, I just hope he actually comes on the day that I induce for. COVID had just hit. The quarantine was brand, brand new. And at this point they had said it was still only an old person's uh, it was killing only old people. If you remember in the beginning, they were like, it was taking all the senior citizens, right? Uh, hospitals were not allowing anyone to bring a, a plus one. I believe it was the governor, maybe two, three weeks before I gave birth, he said, if you're dying or if you're giving birth, you are allowed one person. So because I was afraid, oh my God, if my parents come in and it's an old person's disease and we're in a hospital and like, I, I can't yeah. do that to my parents. So I asked my sister, she came, there's no in and out. So if we're in, we're in for God knows however long she can never come out because they would never let her back in because of quarantine. It was tricky. I was lucky. I was uh, blessed, grateful, everything. They, they gave me, you know, the, the juice and a couple hours later, they're like, you're going into labor. I'm like, what? So it happened. It happened great. It happened easily. My sister asked if she could pull the baby out. Wow. So my sister technically delivered because my OB, my gynecologist delivered both my sister's kids. I mean, she's a family. So she's like, can I deliver? She pulls out the baby, takes it over to the doctor. I'm sitting back legs up, right? I don't know what's going on. And then all of a sudden I hear beep, 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 beep. And I see 20 doctors and nurses rush in. They push my sister back out of the way. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? My so sister scary. runs to go see. She turns around. My sister's as white as a ghost. And she's like, she starts shaking. She goes, oh my God. And she like sits down. I'm like, Layla, tell me what's happening. Meanwhile, my OB is still sewing me very casually. And I'm seeing 20 doctors behind her. So scary. And, and then my OB looks at me, she goes, look at me. And I said, yeah, she goes, look in my eyes. I said, okay. She goes, it's okay. He swallowed a chunk of water coming out. we got it out right now. It's okay. They got it. And it was just, but it was like, he wasn't breathing and he, they had to resuscitate him as soon as he was born. But I still say it was such a beautiful birth. It was amazing. It was easy peasy. I mean, he's the coolest kid I know. <laughs> <laughs> What's it like now to be his mom? I see some of your pictures now that you know you're you're up on Instagram sharing, but it just looks mad like magic. What what is it like for you? It's surreal. It's very surreal. It's learning life again while I watch him learn it for the first time. It's having a new set of eyes. Like it's almost like someone just got the Windex and just cleared all this, you know, smudge off my lens and I can see life in such a different way. And it's awesome because now I know the things that I went through as such a young child, I know where to see it through him now. Cause I, I, it's almost like I can see life through him because mm -hmm. I gave myself the chance to go through it and get through it. I identify it. So mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm, it's the most surreal thing for me to watch him 
have life. <laughs> and give you that, that new perspective on life. That's so beautiful. For people listening who are feeling like they don't know their next step, but it's in their heart to be a mom, do you have any words for those people? Because that's a lot of our audience. I would love to tell all of them to stay strong through this process. It'll happen the way it's supposed to happen. And every book I read, every doctor I've spoken to emphasizes how important it is for the well-being of the host first. We have to take care of our own selves, our emotions, our sanity, because everything you're going to feel, if you do get pregnant, your child's going to feel it. All the stress that you went through, there's exhaustion attached to that. So just give yourself, your body, your mind a chance. Because some people, you said, like you said, 10 years it took you? It took me eight years before she was earthside. <laughs> It'll happen when it's supposed to happen. You know, we are lucky to have medicine to help us, fertility doctors, and I support everyone who goes and does that. But it'll happen when it's supposed to, and maybe it won't, but that's also okay because there are so many forms of bringing a child into your life after you have actively tried to do it yourself. You know, it's, no, I, it's about what you can give. It's love. Yeah, it's all about love. And I think that's something, you know, some people who see you uh, on the reality TV screen may not give you enough credit for sometime that <laughs> you're just a love bug. You're just like, especially with the polyamory, everything you're talking about today is love, 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 love. And I think kids need nothing more. So thank you so much for being thank on you. podcast. Really inspiring. And we look forward to following along and seeing Elijah. Thank you for having a podcast like this and giving people like me an opportunity to be here to speak and to have so many millions of people who are going through it, like you said, to hear this, because this is an amazing platform you have for yourself. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Pregnish podcast, where we cover the extraordinary way families are created today with the help of science and technology. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already, as we have more reality of infertility episodes coming up soon. Until next time.